Welcome to the Real Estate Syndication Show. Whether you are a seasoned investor or building a new real estate business, this is the show for you. Whitney Sewell talks to top experts in the business. Our goal is to help you master real estate syndication. And now your host, Whitney Sewell. This is your daily real estate syndication show. I'm your host, Whitney Sewell. Today, our guest is John Bogdasarian. Thanks for being on the show, John. Happy to be here. Thank you. John is the founder, president uh, of, prom, pronounce it for me, John. Promanis Group. Rhymes with banana. <laughs> A privately held commercial real estate investment management firm that creates investment vehicles designed specifically for accredited investors. John has a wealth of experience in acquiring, syndicating, funding, brokering, investing, and developing various projects. He holds a real estate license, a CCIM designation, is a member of the Forbes Real Estate Council, and has been a featured speaker at real estate conferences and podcasts nationally. John, again, it's a pleasure having you on the show and, and learning more about your background. And, and uh, But you know, tell the listeners how you got into real estate and uh, specifically the syndication business. Well, not to uh, go back too far, but Basically, right out of school, was um, I wasn't terribly employable, so I became a real estate agent and then a broker, uh, primarily doing residential transactions. And I always used to have a line with my residential clients. Uh, you know, I, I was selling maybe 100 to 120 homes a year, doing doing about that many transactions. And I was primarily a listing agent. And I I, I said, you know, usually at the closing or beforehand or when we got the contract on, I said. I'm going to keep your name and number because, you know, for me, what I really want to do someday is I want to be able to make you money in real estate. Right now, you're just paying me a big commission when I sell you your house. And that's great. And I'm sure you're happy with the job I did. But someday, I want to be able to bring you deals where I actually put money in your pocket. And so that's how I started building a list uh, 20 some years ago, I guess, when I started out in the business. Awesome. So, you know, jumping to, uh, you know, the syndication business, you know, what was it you know, the, when did you start syndication and, and how did you learn about this type of business? Yeah, so originally I just came out with, I wanted to own single family homes. The goal was to own 10 single family homes. And if I had those all rented out, I'd never have to work again. And I was always trying to work my way out of a job. I didn't like the idea of having to work for income. So I think by 1998, the end of 1998, I had about 20 single family homes of course, they were way high leverage because I didn't have any money um, to put down. So they were kind of zero down deals. Um, and this was 20 years ago. I was 28 at the time. And um, so what happened over time was I got to realize that buying single family homes was going to take me another 20 years to get them paid off. And it was going to be an incredibly long time that I had to own these things. And and the economy of scale that you could get just didn't really make sense. I would have to own 100 or 200 of these in order to be able to, to employ a full-time management team as well as full-time contractors to keep them up to date. And so it was far more expensive to run smaller individual properties. You know, you've got one tenant in, a let's say, a 1,500-square-foot house. You've got one entire roof that has to be replaced, right? Whereas if you buy an apartment complex you might have four or five tenants under that same 1,500 square feet of roof, maybe even six. So it becomes much more efficient when you can own more units. Of course, not having any money made it very difficult for me to move up the food chain and buy bigger things. So I really 
started in earnest in about 2005, taking on um, investors. I had seven investors in my first deal in 2005. And that allowed me to pool my capital with others, which would create a, a bigger scale and we could buy a larger project that would allow for management fees and, and enough of a budget to establish reserves, things like that. So tell me about the the first deal a little bit. You know, you said you had seven investors. How did how did you meet them? And you know, what were those conversations like? So they had confidence in you, uh, you know, to go and invest in, in this deal. Yeah. Um, well, they were they were either really really smart or they were really naive. I'm not sure which. Um, but it was a student housing portfolio in South Bend, Indiana, that was comprised of 57 houses, 42 apartments, and 30 townhomes about 480 Notre Dame students leased from us in that um, portfolio. I had, um, I had to personally guarantee the debt on that project, which I do pretty much on all my projects now. And, um, and let's see, we invested, we bought that in 2005. We sold it in 2007, uh, right before the crash. And which again, there was some luck involved in this. So how did I find the people? They were primarily friends and family members or um, friends of my parents. I, I live in Ann Arbor, Michigan. I grew up here. Um, so there were a few physicians I knew and I just sort of put it together and I put my own money in the deal too. And um, it went very, very well. We ended up basically doubling our money on that deal in a couple of years, which again, was a bit... Um, there was some luck involved. I, I was more panicked in 2007. I had so many chips out on the table. The reason I really wanted to sell the project wasn't that I didn't think it was going to do well going forward. It was I was concerned about my other 20 single family homes and what those might be worth. Again, they were still fairly well leveraged at that point, even though I'd owned them, owned them for uh, seven or eight years. And um, so I just, you know, basically decided I couldn't go broke taking a profit. And it turned out to be a wonderful thing because I had plenty of cash on the sidelines as the market went down. And then we really started buying in earnest again in 2009, where I had basically those same seven investors come back into my deal there along with four or five others. And then from there, we've grown to three or 400 active participating investors with a list of a couple thousand, but we don't have any um, actual deals to send out to them right at the moment. We only send something out about once a quarter. So um, we're in a good position from an equity standpoint, raising and all of that growth, almost all of that growth came word of mouth, um, direct referral from those existing uh, seven to 11 investors that we had. I, I would say after we hit a couple hundred, then I started getting on podcasts and things like that. And so we, we've had a number of people come to us from other areas now. But the initial, I'd say 150 to 200 were all just direct referrals from the people that were already invested with us. Nice. So let's talk about how you built that investor list. I know a lot of listeners uh, you know, are, are trying to get into this business. They're trying to raise capital. They're learning that side of the business. And let's talk about how you did that. I know you talked about direct referrals, but maybe you can give us some pointers of, you know, going, you know, from the seven investors up to the three or 400, you know, uh, potential investors that you have now, you know, tell us about that. Yeah, I, I actually, um, I'm, uh, I'm not plugging it because it's probably going to, it's terrible. I've, I've got this book coming out and there's a chapter on, um, 
what I call prospecting, which is a skill that I learned back in the residential arena. And I was taught this by a guy named Mike Ferry. He's a, a mostly a residential real estate educator, but you can go to mikeferry.com and, and download his scripts and dialogues and see what he does or attend one of his events if you want to learn about this skill called prospecting, um, which is no more than dialing, I used to call it dialing for dollars, whatever it may be. You know, you have a list of people, sphere of influence. Uh, you just create a very simple script. And I would just call people. I mean, I, I literally I'd call all our current investors and I'd say, hey, Tim, you know, I have a, um, I've got four more shares left. They're $50,000 each. I'm wondering who else you might know that might consider uh, looking at a deal like this. And I would, you know, get some names and numbers and emails. And I would, then I'd fire the people a packet and I'd call them up and I'd say, hey, Joe, you know, I got your name from, uh, Tim, he's invested with us in deals. And um, I sent you a packet by email. Would you mind taking a look at it? I, I wondered if you'd have any interest in it and or if you have any feedback on it. You know, I'd like to hear your thoughts on that. And I would try and engage people in the process of, you know, what do you think of this deal? I'd, I'd like to hear about it. I, I, I love getting questions. Uh, I don't want to make mistakes. So if somebody has something that they bring up on one of my deals and I can't address it or it causes me a little bit of angst and worry, then, you know, hey, maybe I don't have the greatest deal out there and and let's avoid that one or do something else. Now, that doesn't happen too often anymore because, you know, I'd like to think we think of everything, but we, you know, you can't always think of everything. But after 20 plus years in the business, you you don't hear a lot of new questions or, or things like that. It's more, well, market concerns, things like that. But in terms of starting out and growing your database, I just, I'd keep a list of everybody. I'd go to the doctor's office, you know, for, for an eye check. I've had uh, some eye surgeries in the past and I'd say, hey doc, I really appreciate you taking care of me. I'd like to take care of you. I don't know if you know what I do for a living, but I make rich people richer. And, you know, you have to meet the accredited investor criteria, which I know you do as a doctor. If you'd like, I'd be happy to send you a packet. Absolutely no obligation, but I certainly appreciate what you've done for me here. And I'd love to, you know, make you some money if you're interested. And so, you know, just little scripts like that, that I would kind of design. And then so I'd get their contact info. Now I've got a doctor's email and cell phone number, which I've probably got 150 of now. And I'll tell you what, that comes in way more handy than you could possibly imagine. I mean, I, you know, if I feel like, oh, I've got, you know, something's bothering me in my chest. I've got 40 heart physicians at a world-class facility. I've got all their cell numbers. I can call them up and say, hey, doc, I'm having this little you know, thing there. And they're like, come on in right now. Well, I'm here. And, you know, I'll get an EKG or whatever. This happened once a couple of years ago. It was nothing. But, um, you know, it's, uh, it's a nice thing to have. So I'm not, um, I kind of treat it like I'm doing them a favor, which I think most people when they're out there looking for money are thinking they're, they're kind of like begging or asking for money. Well, you know, I, I've, I've got a pretty solid track record. I've not lost, uh, I guess, I will, you're going to ask me that. So I'll save that story about have I ever lost investor capital. Um, but, you know, honestly, I kind of look at it like, what the heck are you going to do with your money? I mean, nobody really knows what to do with their money. I, I have the trouble with it myself. So I put it in all my own deals because I understand them or, or, or think I do. And so I think I'm doing people kind of a favor, but I try not to present it that way either. You have to be careful about that as well, because you know, if you're appreciative and uh, you're going to go a lot further. And, and to be honest with you, I am primarily because I can't do anything without their capital. So 
them trusting me and placing their capital with me, you know, is is very important. So try and balance those two things. But that's how I'd say I basically got to this point. Now we have an investor relations department and I don't get to have quite as many conversations with new investors. I still try to at least once a week um, just because I love it. And I, I like talking to people and learning about what they do. And my network of people is the most powerful thing I have. It's the best. It's my biggest asset. What are some other ways you're increasing your network right now that maybe some of us could apply to our business? You know, I've really deviated uh, and come to the conclusion that I'm a lot better crafting the deal and talking to the investors and handling the books and the accounting and the money portion of this business than I am at going to township meetings, planning commission meetings, working with architects. Um, those issues frustrate me to no end. I've, I've gone through that enough to know what it is to appreciate someone who's doing that on a project and to know that they should get paid some type of developer fees and things along the way. But primarily now what we've done is we've uh, shifted our business to being the money behind it. And so what happens is, is uh, a young sponsor, maybe starting out, um, someone wants to be a developer, maybe even someone more sophisticated. We're now looking at huge projects we've done, uh, $100 million plus, where people are looking at this GPLP structure and they're looking for an LP. And we write them a proposal and say, hey, why would you do it this way? You know, we could structure it this way, uh, you know, our way. And not only would you end up with more money, but you know, you don't have to deal with any of this LPGP stuff. And so um, we've kind of morphed into just the money side and trying to grow that way. I always tell people, look, if you have a great deal and you really believe in it, um, you know, the money's not really going to be the issue. That uh, People think it is, but it really isn't. If you just make some calls and work at it, you know, you can build your own database of investors. But you can also go to uh, one of the you know, hundreds of capital source companies out there. And they have connections to people like me, to family offices, to, you know, uh, institutional money. If you want to go that route, we don't do that. But um, we don't do anything public or institutional just from the standpoint of not wanting to jump through the hurdles there. And it's a lot easier to just work privately. So what are some questions from investors that we need, you know, this person just getting into the business, what are some questions they need to definitely be prepared to answer? Interestingly enough, uh, you know, so this, um, this book I've got coming out is all about, it's designed for accredited investors to teach them how to find people to invest with. And I think it'd be good for deal sponsors, especially people who are starting out who want to become syndicators, uh, to read from the standpoint of this is what investors should be asking you, but this is oftentimes what they're not asking you. So most of the time, like I like to say, I have, uh, I have, I have, well, they're all accredited investors, but there are smart investors and not so smart investors. We have both in our deals for sure. Um, the ones that I've found that are more intelligent outside of what they're investing in with us, because I ask them, what other things are you looking at? What other things are you doing? And I'm always asking questions. That's the only way I learn is by doing. So, um, what I found is that the smarter investors will ask more questions about me as a person, about how I structure deals, what my philosophy is, 
where I come from, background, why I do what I do, and where my motivation lies in, in, in this process. Um, what can go wrong? What's the downside? These are the questions they will ask. The, I wouldn't say not smart investors, but, but I think sometimes some of the investors who are very smart people, but they're not as savvy in this arena, will spend a lot more time on the deal itself. And what I like to tell people is, I don't care how good your deal is. It's gonna run, you're going to run into things. You're going to run into unforeseen things. You're going to run into problems. It's going to be a pain. How are you going to see this through? What's your experience? What's the glue that's going to keep you attached to the deal? The person running the deal is far more important than the deal itself. That's what I tell people hands down. So as an as a up-and-coming syndicator, I would have some language ready to gear people. So if you start getting questions and you get people focused on the deal itself, answer those questions for sure because you should know that deal inside and out and that should be easy. But also try and level shift the conversation back to, you know, Mr. or Mrs. Investor, you've got a lot of great questions about the deal itself. I can tell you the deal itself is important and we don't set out to do bad deals, but there are going to be so many things we run into throughout this process the questions you should be answering, whether you're considering investing with me or anyone else for that matter, is about the person, is about the person themselves. And I would kind of try and shift that conversation back to that um, just from the standpoint of, you know, you could get bogged down and spend hours and hours talking about the deal. And, you're, you know, I mean, one deal, you can't, it could take you 10 hours to explain to somebody all the ins and outs and differences and everything else. So at the end of the day, what happens is that investor is placing their trust in you and they're investing in you. And so, and, and that's how I think most of my investors look at it. And, and we, you know, like I said, we don't get calls. I mean, we've had, we have hundreds and hundreds of investors now and they don't call. Uh, we send them updates every month. Um, some projects only require one supporter, but we push enough information out that, you know, they don't really call us much and they just kind of say, well, Hey, John's made us money before. And he'll make us money again, and he's doing everything. And here's the update, you know, that kind of thing. So um, I think I answered the question as best I could there up front. Now I'm moving on. <laughs> That's great. Some great content. I don't want to interrupt you. You were providing some great value. And so tell us what is, uh, um, you know, the company's focus right now. And y'all are more on raising capital. Tell us, you know, the focus and where you're going forward. Yeah, we're actually at the moment focused on ridding ourselves of assets and projects. So we are we have a portfolio that we own and operate and manage, which is a couple million square feet um, in and around southeastern Michigan. It does very well. We've had it, we started that in 2009. That's a portfolio. But there's over 300 members in that particular portfolio and it's been running 10 years. So it's become time to start liquidating those properties. And as we put those on the market, it will free up a lot more people in my office and on my team um, because our management of those properties takes a lot of time and energy. So we are trying to shift from uh, management intensive projects to, again, purely the capital side, uh, equity side of the projects. And, and we help with getting debt for projects for people as well. But um, so as we do that, and as some of our development projects finish up, we have uh, two or three that will finish up in the first quarter of this year. We will put out another one and another one. Um, I have uh, 
I have one that I'm looking at this week that would be about 15 million of, of equity or shares that we would put out for that project if we if we like it. We're just in a due diligence process. So, you know, as far as we go, we're really a deal per quarter. And I never like to say, well, we don't need any more investors because I'm really here to help people make money in real estate in what I believe is a very safe, solid, and predictable manner. And that's what I like doing. And that's where my ego is satisfied and where I'm justified is in proving myself that I did things and that I set out to do something and, and brought it through to the end. I'm, I'm very aware of that. Uh, I, I didn't do terribly well in school. I had teachers that would say, you know, well, he's, you know, I don't know if he's going to amount to much. He seems like a smart kid, but he doesn't apply himself. And so, you know, there's always been this little chip on my shoulder to um, prove myself, I suppose. And um, while that's sort of gone, I think it's, it's become very, very fun for me to send out the checks and make the money for people. And so, you know, that's my motivation. So I think we'll just keep doing that. I just don't know that we'll send out much more than one deal per quarter, um, just because the deal size has gotten larger. And uh, I think the last one we sent out was... Um, uh, it was the Boulevard Sarasota project, which was a $16 million equity raise. And we sent that out to our, our list on Tuesday. And within seven days, the fully, full $16 million was committed. And that was crazy to me. I thought it would take me two months to do that. Um, it would have taken me two years to do it just five years ago. Um, but, you know, it's kind of snowballed. And so as we've made people money, we don't lose them because... We're, you know, they don't want to go anywhere else because you've got proof of concept with them. And so there's this snowball effect that seems to be taking place. It's just, I, at some point, I think there's going to be a limit in terms of um, nobody around here wants to keep hiring and hiring and adding more people to the team. Um, and so that's going to limit the number of deals we can have going on at any given time. And then I think the second challenge is the size of deal. I don't want to get above a certain number because then I am going to be competing with institutional capital. And, you know, when millionaires compete with billionaires, the billionaires usually win. So, and then they can do things at, you know, different numbers. Um, plus I'm obsessed about making sure I'm not doing a project that competes with itself. You see people putting up four and five and 600 unit condo projects. And I believe they may get halfway sold and then they'll be seeing resales and they'll be competing with people in their own project. In some markets, maybe New York City, LA, places like that, sure, you can probably do that. But where we are, um, the markets we look at, I just wouldn't want to put up massive numbers like that. John, what, what advice would you give someone just starting out in the syndication business? I believe firmly everyone I meet with coming out of college, a lot of my investors, uh, kids that will come in, I say kids, I consider myself to be a kid. I'm not that old. Um, but uh, I always say, whatever you're doing, you know, do something you want to be doing for sure. Don't be working for a paycheck, you know, and make sure you're learning something. Everything I did was to learn a skill or a task. So uh, the first thing I got was the real estate sales job because I wanted to learn how to prospect, how to sell, which isn't about convincing someone to do something. It's about identifying people who have a need and presenting them with that solution to that need. So I'm not convincing anyone to invest in my deals. I'm presenting it to them and I'm just 
it's a sheer numbers game. Um, so I hope that helps and answers. Sure. What has been the hardest part of the syndication business for you? You know, there's, you're always running into these chicken and egg problems. Um, I remember starting out, you know, I was living kind of commission to commission in the residential arena. And while I was making a really good income, taxable income, you know, is a hard way. It's really hard to set aside money. Um, once you, you know, you're making this income, you think you're rich and then the government takes 40% of it. And then, you know, you're like, well, wait, I'm broke again. And so I always had this problem of, trying to go from earning commissions into just doing deals. I think that's one of the biggest challenges in the entire arena. So how I bridge that gap was I found a deal I could do where it made money, but it also had hefty brokerage fees. And I did both. I handled the sales of the project and I was the developer on the project. I mean, I had to disclose that to everybody, but I put a 6% commission on the deal. I subordinated it to the return of the investor capital but I did have a, a big commission income. And so that was an office condominium project I did. And so as those were selling, this was back in 2004 or five, somewhere around there, as those units were closing, I was making 30 and $40,000 commissions and they were staggered over a 12 month period of time, which was what allowed me to live while I kind of found the next deal and got the next thing in the pipeline so that I could continue to, to move forward that way. Um, so sometimes you have to wear more hats than you want, I guess. Um, in the beginning, if you have that problem, there's other ways to bridge those gaps as well. So John, what's the, before we have to go, what's the number one thing that's contributed to your success? You know, I think trying to, the, the, the one thing I try to do, I guess I'm going to give you two things. Um, one is to accept responsibility for my situation. Whatever it is, I accept responsibility for it. If I'm caught out in the rain um, at a bus stop, I'd be like, how did I get here? Why did this happen? How, you know, is there a way that I could have handled this differently so that I didn't end up here? Whatever that situation may be, I would accept responsibility for my situation and then I would work to try and change that situation. Um, so I preach that a lot to people. Um, it's sort of more of a general philosophy. Um, and then the second thing would be to try and stay within my sphere of knowledge. I have a big tendency to try and um, do new things all the time because that's, again, how I learn and how I grow. And so I've done you know, virtually every type of asset class there is out there, but I still stay within real estate and I stay within my fundamental knowledge and, and, and core. Um, you know, I don't stick to apartments or office or industrial or anything in that nature, I like to deviate, but I do stick to real estate and I stick to some very solid sound principles. Great. John, you provided some great content for our listeners. I really appreciate your time and being on the show. Tell them how they can learn more about you and your business and your, and your book that you have coming out. Anybody who wants to get on our investor relations list can just send an email to ir at promanas.com. IR for investor relations at promanas.com. And Promanas is like rhymes with bananas, P-R-O-M-A-N-A-S.com. If you get on our list, you'll get a packet. You'll see how we do things. You'll see how I put out deals. I know we have a lot of people that want to learn how to syndicate on our list that aren't ever going to invest in our deals. 
I'm absolutely fine with that. We operate with 100% transparency, so we're happy to have you on there. Um, I can't spend a ton of time on questions with people on a daily basis, but I try and make time whenever I can. Um, you know, there's a lot of podcasts out there and other places to learn this stuff. So everyone who's on my list is going to get a coupon or a link so they can get this book for, you know, 50 cents, because that's probably about what it's worth. But, um, it, you know, it'll be valuable to the people that it's targeted to. I, I just, it's not meant to be some kind of best selling, you know, um, Ernest Hemingway novel or anything. <laughs> That's great, John. Thanks for for that information. I hope the listeners will connect with John and and get on that list so you can learn uh, either either invest with him his company or, or learn how he does business uh, to improve your business. And I hope you'll go to lifebridgecapital.com so you can connect and schedule a call with me. Happy to help in any way. And also go to the Real Estate Syndication Show Facebook group so you can ask uh, questions of John and other guests and experts like him. And so we can learn and grow our business together. And you'll also see the future guests, you know, before I interview them, you'll know who's coming on the show. So that way you can leave questions and I'll, and I'll try to ask your questions for you as well. And we will talk to each of you tomorrow. Thanks, Winnie. Thank you for listening to the Real Estate Syndication Show brought to you by LifeBridge Capital. LifeBridge Capital works with investors nationwide to invest in real estate, while also donating 50% of its profits to assist parents who are committing to adoption. LifeBridge Capital, making a difference, one investor and one child at a time. Connect online at www.lifebridgecapital.com for free material and videos to further your success.